0: Good. Well, we are in Acts. Um, before we get there, I don't know what your week's been like. I've felt rushed all week, just at not not so much with my time, just kind of at a soul level. just felt like hurried and rushed through and just like it's nonstop. And so I just want to take a moment because somebody else is like me here and you've been in that place. I mean, the worship's been good. I want to take a moment, though, just to center our hearts on what God has for us. I believe God wants to meet you today through his word right now, through what his spirit's going to be speaking to you, even as I'm speaking out loud And I want us to be ready to receive that, to be ready to hear from God, to receive from him so we can move forward with what he wants us to have. So if you join me just in in closing your eyes right now, focusing on God, I wanna pray over us. And maybe you even wanna open up your hands right now and just say, God, I'm open. Father, right now, we ask that you would send your spirit on us. Whatever we're bringing into this space, whatever hurriedness or stress or anxiety or distraction, I pray that all that would just recede into the background right now, that we would be able to fix our hearts and our minds on you, on your word, and on what you want us to do. Father, help us to receive from you today to live out what you have for us this coming week. And Father, I ask that you give us a real humility right now to recognize where maybe our areas or our lives have areas where they're not what they should be, and we can bring those back into alignment with what you want for us. So, Father, we just give you this time. We ask that you would speak to us through your spirit. We're open to what you have for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be here. I want to talk about what you are missing in your life today. So anybody want to get encouraged? Like, your life is deficient, okay? So I I was reading reading recently on some health stuff, you know, how to have the proper diet. Does that depress anybody else? I mean, I saw that uh, 94% of American adults are deficient in their vitamins that they have. So if you were looking to get enough potassium, like 90% of Americans don't get enough potassium. So I think that means eat more bananas. I'm really not sure exactly. I think potassium's right, muscles, nerves, sound right? Something like that, some minerally, vitamin-y kind of things that it does for you. So you're probably deficient if you're a normal American in that area. You need to have more potassium, okay? So if you get nothing else out of today, go eat some potassium. Uh, 80% of American adults are deficient in vitamin E. Now, I really, if I didn't really know what potassium was, I have no idea what vitamin E is. But we are deficient in it, and that's probably why we're deficient. I don't know what foods you eat to get vitamin E. If I want vitamin C, I know I have an orange, right? Eat some of fruit for that. Don't know how to get vitamin E, but you're deficient in it, I'm deficient in it, and so we gotta figure that out. Calcium, there's only like 70% of US adults are deficient in calcium, and I have a theory why. Too many of us are getting oat milk, and soy milk and almond milk. And I don't know, maybe those milks have calcium in. We should get God's milk from cows. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where you should get milk. That's how God designed it. I don't think God created almonds. You know, I don't think that's, that's where, I'm just kidding, he did. <laughs> but like, he didn't make them to be milked is all I'm saying. Like, like, drink your milk, get your calcium. We're deficient in some ways. And then I look at my own life and like vitamins aside, I get that I'm deficient there. It's like, how many other areas of life Like you hear about all these good things to do. It's like, make sure you're journaling every day. Make sure you're like taking time to reflect every day. Make sure you're, you know, like finding, you ever see those lists on Instagram, like do all these things, like take at least 15 minutes a day to like learn a new skill and take at least this amount of time and make sure you do this. By the end of it, you're like, that's 25 hours worth of stuff. You know, it's like, like, get a full eight hours of sleep every night. I can't do it all you know? And so I'm deficient. It's like, ah, I don't know. And what, what I've learned is is like, I, not that I need to do what everybody else says to do. Because like, I have a dad who's a vegan and really wants us to be vegan sometimes. He's not really, but he kind of encourages that. One year for Christmas, he gave us all a book called How Not to Die <laughs> about being vegan, essentially. So I have that. And then my brother recently's kind of got this carnivore diet going on where you just eat meat, which is, talk about two different ends of the spectrum, right? You eat no animal products or you just eat meat. Like I know which side I like more, but I'm not sure which side's better for me. So anyway, just so all this information. Like, ah, how do I know what to do? And uh, man, I've, I've learned in my own life, there's some stuff that if I don't have these things, then I really feel the impact of it. Like for me, if I don't have a daily time of prayer and reading my Bible, it affects me really negatively. That's not preacher talk up here. That's not like, read your Bible. That's like, I just personally it, it negatively affects me if I'm not spending time with Jesus regularly. I know that if I'm not lifting weights or running regularly, it negatively affects me. Like I just have to have some physical activity in my life. It lowers the stress. It it just helps me feel better. Like I've, I know I've got to have that. Uh, sleep, I've learned. I haven't done it, but I've learned I need eight hours of sleep every night. Do I get it? No, I never do, but I've just learned that's so necessary. I've learned for me screen time. I've got to limit my screen time. If I have too much screen time, I get like just mentally just more stressed out and just not, not as much peace in my life. So I've learned some of these things. But the biggest way I learn and I identify deficiencies in my life is looking at other people. Anybody here a people watcher? Like, so some people will call me a creep. I'm calling myself a learner. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I identify how to be a better person. I identify how to, how to maybe fix some deficiencies in my life through watching others. I love watching how people interact because I learn how to interact better with people. I love seeing how people structure their lives because I learn how to structure my life. I love in the gym, I'm watching people working out all the time. Not the ladies, the dudes. I'm watching the dudes working out because I'm like, I should try that. Because I don't ever research this stuff on my own. The only research I do is during my workout at the gym. I'm like, oh, that looks like it'd be helpful. Let me try that next time. Like that's the, I'm just watching people and learning And I've really discovered in life the ways I've grown the most is by watching people living the kind of life I want to live and emulating them, following their example, copying them. We're going through Acts right now. We're in this series and so much of what Acts is about towards the end of it, which is where we are, is about the Apostle Paul. And there's one section we're going to dig into today and it's, it's a random section. It's just a section about Paul's journey. He's just traveling. He's trying to get to the next place. And in the middle of this section, it's just kind of a normal slice of life for him, we can learn so much about what living in God's kingdom looks like. In fact, I think there's three main ways that that he lives that we're deficient in. So you guys ready to get going today? You got your Bibles, Acts chapter 21. We're gonna start in verse seven. Here's what's happened to this point. Last week, we were back in Acts chapter 19, and Paul was in Ephesus. And right after the part we finished reading last week, it says that Paul felt led by the Holy Spirit to travel around Macedonia and Greece, and then he needed to go back to Jerusalem. That's home base for a Jewish person. Go back to Jerusalem, and then he hopes to go on to Rome. In Acts chapter 20, he says now he feels constrained by the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit's like tying him up and saying, go back to Jerusalem. So he's on his way back to Jerusalem now because he feels like that's what God wants him to do. So we're gonna pick it up, random journey, Acts chapter 21, verse seven. We continued our voyage from Tyre And landed at Ptolemaeus. Ptolemaeus is in modern-day Lebanon, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. We're going to stop there for a second because this is the first deficiency that that Paul didn't have, but we do have. If you want to live in God's kingdom and enjoy all that God has for you, we have to embrace kingdom relationships. Most of us have a deficiency of healthy, good relationships in our lives. And, and you, you recognize this because when you come to church, you're excited to see people. And, but this might be the first time of your week you're really just seeing people outside of work and connecting with people. A lot of us have deficient relationships. It's not that the people in your life are maybe bad. It's just that we haven't created these kind of relationships. That's not the case with Paul. Paul, in all of his letters he's writing, he's, he's name-dropping. He gets to the end of his letter. He's like, hey, greet that person and that person, and that person. And we're like, we get it, Paul. You're cool. Everybody likes you, okay? We understand. He's always talking about others. He's saying, hey, go have that person. Go, go pick me up my robes at that city I stopped at and go have this thing and that thing and greet this person and make sure you say hey to this person and send this person to me. He's so connected. And in what we just read here, he comes to Ptolemaeus and we don't know his relationships there, but he talks about spending time with the brothers and sisters, It's just people in the church, like Paul's life was filled with healthy, good, life-giving relationships because they were relationships centered around Jesus. And then it says he goes on to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, he encounters Philip the Evangelist as one of the seven, which if you've been watching Rings of Power, sounds like a scary thing. Like one of the seven rings, what is this? No, one of the seven, if you go back to Acts chapter six, he was, uh, Philip was one of the guys selected to be a servant in the church, a deacon, one of the seven men originally selected for that role. He's gone on now. He's known as Philip the Evangelist because as he's progressed through his life, he's preached the gospel and lots of people were saved under his ministry. So now everybody recognizes he's he's gifted. He have a, has a spiritual gift of evangelism. He's, he's Philip the Evangelist. We're also told he has four unmarried daughters who prophesy. The reason we're told they're unmarried is not because this is like, a, like an old test or like an like ancient way of doing like hinge where it's like, hey, these four daughters are unmarried. Anybody out there? It's not it at all. It's, it's telling us how young they were because they would have been no more than 16 probably if they were unmarried at this time, which tells us even as like these teenagers, they're prophesying. So Philip has raised up a family of prophetesses. Prophetess says, I think that's right. Yeah. Of ladies who prophesy is what he has raised. He's raised this family of, of ladies who prophesy. And so he, this, this beautiful family, we don't know if Paul knows Philip, but they, it doesn't matter if they know each other already. They're coming and staying with each other. They have this close relationship. Why? Because they love Jesus and they're on, they're on mission together. They may not have known each other, but they can sit down and share so much in common. And these are two of the greats of the early church, two legends in the early church, Philip. Paul, and they're sitting down together, looking back over the last 30 years of the church and what Jesus has done, spending time, getting close together. So many of us want more relationships like that. And those relationships are going to come for you in the kingdom. This is what Jesus said. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. Jesus said, there's no one, and I'm paraphrasing, this is very close to what he said, who gives up brother and sister or mother and father or field, in other words, your work and your purpose, or house who won't gain back a hundred times that. But he didn't say like, when you get to heaven, you'll get more. He's like, no, who won't gain back a hundred times that in this life. In other words, when you sacrifice and give up for God and his kingdom, Jesus says you will receive back in this life a hundred times as much. Now what that doesn't mean is like, if you give $10 to the church, you'll like receive back a thousand. What a deal that would be. But what it's saying is when you give up, God's gonna create this new family that you have access to. So like, if you're coming in today and you feel like, man, I don't have good enough relationships and I'm struggling, like you are sitting in a room right now with people God has given you to be in relationship with who are part of your family. And that's part of the beauty of these kingdom relationships that Paul has. I was just, as I was preparing for this and studying this passage, I was thinking back over my last week. And and I'm, I'm like you, there are times in my week where I just feel maybe distant from people or maybe feel lonely or feel like, man, I just, I don't have enough connection. I don't, anybody, maybe that's just me. This is just like therapy time for Elijah. But I feel that sometimes. I'm guessing some of you do too. And and I was thinking back over this week though. And this week I got to kick it off on Monday with hanging out with a guy I'm in a discipling relationship with. I'm discipling him, and it was early in the morning, so I wasn't excited to see him early in the morning. But I was excited to see him. You know what I'm saying? Like the time was bad, the person was good, and I got to have that and dig into each other's lives. And then I got to get together Monday uh, late afternoon with one of my best friends in the world who's a 60-something-year-old lady. And it's like, the, on paper, makes no sense. In fact, when I've like, dated people, I've had to tell them, hey, so there's, there is a special lady in my life already. She's in her 60s, though. So like, we're good, but like, we, we, hate, we go on a lot of walks together. But there's nothing there, I promise, right? It's kind of a weird relationship. The only thing that ties us together is our relationship with Jesus, and we're able to like sit down and encourage each other in ministry and talk about Jesus and our lives. And again, like what ties us together is Jesus. And she's one of my best friends. It's, it's so weird. But Jesus, kingdom relationship. And then, and then I got together with someone uh, one of the evenings this week. And he's a, he's a professor. He trains pastors. And I don't know him at all. I've seen him twice in my life. I remember like one core memory of him when I was three, because he brought some elk. He killed an elk and brought the meat to our house. And as as a three-year-old, I was like, what a man, you know? And I think I've seen him once since then. I don't know this guy at all. And we sat down and I had more fun sitting and talking with him than I might've had in the last six months. Like it was just amazing. And what tied us together outside of elk meat when I was three, it was Jesus tied us together. Like this amazing kingdom relationship, right? Uh, getting to experience. And then, then the final one that was just awesome was I've been texting with this guy I just met. He's a new friend, a brother in Christ. He's a pastor in Mexico, small village in Mexico. He doesn't speak English, I don't speak Spanish. And so by the power of the spirit and the power of Google Translate, we just have been connected this week. And so we've been texting back and forth and I've just been, Google Translate has been my interpreter, uh, the gift of tongues, if if you will, for me uh, to communicate with him. And I'm getting connected with this pastor in Mexico. And what I love about all of this is there's nothing special about what I've done. It's just getting to participate in God's kingdom and the relationships he brings. He brings. Like, if you're here today, especially if you're not a Christian, but even if you are, I want you to hear this. Like, the the kingdom of God is fundamentally relationship. God within himself is relationship. Now, now let that blow your mind for a second. God is one, but he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. It's what the Bible teaches, not what I would have come up with, but it's who God is. And, And within God, he is relationship, so that means that, like, when we're created in the image of God, we're created for relationship, primarily for relationship with God, and then for relationship with others. Like, the kingdom of God is all about relationships. And so many of us just have chosen to not participate in that, or maybe struggled to participate in that. But what Paul's life shows us is we have a deficiency. And we need to embrace that. Now now you're thinking, okay, I've tried. People are just hard to be friends with or people aren't like filling me up like I need to be filled up. And here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Like don't look for the people who naturally maybe align with you and don't look for the people who are gonna fill you up. Find the people Jesus puts around you and dig into those relationships and like invest in them and expect to put a lot into them before you start to receive much back out but just expect to be there for people and like find, find your own 60 year old lady to be friends with, right? I've got mine, you can't take her, okay? But find your own, find someone who's different than you uh, that God's put in your life and build that relationship around Jesus. And again, you've got, you're gonna have to invest some in that before you start receiving some back out, but that's, that's it. And so kingdom relationships are a deficiency for many of our lives, but Paul had them. So if we're just taking this snapshot, we're, we're creeping on Paul right now and we see, okay, he's got that, we need to work on that. Okay, then there's something else that goes on. So he's hanging out there with uh, Philip in Caesarea. And it says in verse 10, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, what an ugly name, but a beautiful man, came down from Judea and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it. Now think about that. It's a belt. Like think about the size of Paul. I don't know if this is saying Paul's fat or not, but like it was a big enough belt where he could tie his hands and his feet together with the belt. That's a big old belt. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's just a massive belt. And he tied his hands and his feet together. And he said this, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So he says, "If, if you're go whoever owns this, he knows who owns it. He knows Paul owns it. He says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna be tied up and you're gonna be handed over. And there's this prophecy and he's kind of acting the prophecy out. This is something Old Testament prophets would have done. And so he's just a, he's a, A prophet now that's a Christian, and he's giving this prophecy. Now, prophecy is a little bit weird, but it's not as weird as you probably think it is. So that's weird. I mean, tying yourself up is a little strange. Anytime someone ties themselves up is weird. Okay, but but this is prophecy is not quite that weird. All prophecy is this: it's God's specific truth applied to a specific person or event. That's it. So it's like specific truth from God. So honestly, prophecy can be scripture. If it's like someone's going through something, you're like, man, I feel like God wants me to tell you this verse about this event in your life. That, that can be prophecy. Prophecy often, even in the Bible, is not about things that will happen in the future. Often it's like, here's, here's how you need to align your life with God right now. Now there's a future element. In fact, there's prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus who would come hundreds and hundreds of years later. Uh, there's, there's all prophecies. That, so there's lots of prophecies about the future, but most prophecies are about your present right now. And so as a Christian, you actually need to seek prophecy, not just from others, but for others in your life. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, we've talked about it in the series already, but Paul writes that we should seek the spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. So again, you don't, need, you don't need to like seek a belt to tie yourself up with and share with somebody. What you need to be seeking is God, What like when you enter a conversation, what truth do you want shared here? What do you want me to share? So I, I've, I've told y'all recently, I started going to a new gym so I could connect with more unchurched people. And so before I go into the gym now, I pray a prayer. I say, Lord, would you, would you empower me? Would you give me the, your gifts right now to where if I'm having a conversation and you want to share truth with that person, that you'll help me to do that? Would you help me be sensitive to your spirit that if there's somebody there who needs to be healed, that you would let me know that and let me heal them? Would you give me, if there's someone who speaks another language and you want me to communicate the gospel to them in their own language, would you give me that ability to communicate the gospel through speaking another tongue? Like I'm literally praying this prayer. It's kind of like most most other guys are listening to heavy metal music, getting amped up in their truck out in front. I'm like, Holy Spirit, give me gifts before I go in. And then when I go in, like, I'm talking to you know, this, this just totally jacked dude who could break me in half. And I'm like, Lord, protect me. But also, you know, do you want me to say something? And, and that's a recent thing for me to be praying those prayers. And, and so far, I haven't sensed the Spirit saying something, but he's sure given me a lot of connections as I've gone through. And he's, he's blessing that, that whole experience. So not only do we need kingdom relationships, but many of us have a deficiency. If we're just looking at the early church and at Paul's life, we have a deficiency in kingdom gifts. Like we're not operating in the gifts and around the gifts that God wants to give, the spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit that he wants to give. And some of those are as simple as just the ability to serve, like like Holy Spirit empowered ability to serve. And some of that's the Holy Spirit empowered ability to give. And some of that's the Holy Spirit empowered ability to prophesy about the future. But we need to be seeking that and, and wanting more of that. So Agabus actually has already shown up in Acts. He shows up in Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, he prophesies that there's a famine coming. So because of that, the church collects together a lot of money and sends it where the famine is gonna be taking place. So Agabus is a tested and tried and trusted prophet. So when he says something, they're like, yep, okay, it's gonna happen. Like Paul, we know you are gonna get tied up and you are gonna be handed over. Like they they know that's gonna happen. Um, If you receive a prophecy, you need to be careful with it. It's really easy for someone to say something and you'd be like, okay, I guess that's how it'll be. Um, you need to make sure it's from a trusted source. It lines up with God's word. And the best place to hear directly from God is from the Bible. Like everything in scripture is directly from God. So you don't have to question that. If someone gives you a prophecy, maybe question it. Someone give me a prophecy once, uh, Pastor Roberto, he spoke here back in May. And Pastor Roberto, when he was in town, he said something and then he said, I think that may be prophetic, but I'm not sure. So test it out. And I really appreciated that, right? It's like it's like just enough where you're like, okay, I'm gonna pay attention, but also, I'm not gonna commit myself to that yet. You know, so far, it might, it, I don't know, actually, I'm not sure if it's helpful or not. Uh, we'll see. Uh, TBD, okay? But he gave me something, so I'm kind of sitting with it a little bit, and that, that's okay. And so be careful, but, but not when, it, with a the prophecy, there's two aspects to it. There's the prophecy of like, this is the specific word that's spoken, but then you have to figure out how to interpret it or apply it. So listen to what happens. Agabus ties himself up and is like, whoever owns this belt, this is gonna to happen to them if they go to Jerusalem. And Paul's like, well, that's my belt, and I'm going to Jerusalem. So what's the response? Verse 12, when we heard this, and the person writing this is named Luke, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, which makes sense. You're like, if you go to Jerusalem, this prophet who we know and trust, and he's been accurate, says you're gonna get tied up. And so they're telling him not to go. But Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now this is something else that's important. Somebody got it here. Everybody else is like, oh, interesting. (laughs) Here's something that you got to grab hold of. Just because something is told that is true doesn't mean you need to respond naturally to it. So the Holy Spirit has already told Paul Like, don't, like, you gotta go to Jerusalem. And and that shows up in in Acts 19, verse 21, and Acts 20, verses 22. The Holy Spirit's already said, go. And so he's gotta go. When the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, either from scripture, or has very clearly challenged you to do something, you must do it, even if people are pushing back against it. If God's word says to do something, you've gotta follow it. If God calls you to give up something, God calls you to go to the mission field, God calls you to leave your job because he's calling you to a lesser paying job where you can serve him better. And your family, your parents are like, what are you doing? You can't leave that job. Like you gotta make that money. Like if you are confident, you gotta test it. But if you are confident God is leading you somewhere else, you go with what God has said, period. You don't let others dissuade you. You fix your life on what God has said. And this, this, this is what Paul does. He says, I'm absolutely just gonna do it. I have to do it for the Lord. Verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up when we said, the Lord's will be done. Paul was one stubborn headed dude. And so if he was like, I'm gonna do it, they're like, okay, eventually the Lord's will be done here. But in our lives, we need to be seeking not only deeper kingdom relationships, we need to be seeking deeper kingdom gifts as well. Now the final thing, I think the final deficiency I see in us as Christians in America that Paul really highlights because he doesn't have this deficiency is Paul's willingness to embrace kingdom suffering. So so many of us have bought into this kind of American mentality of we want comfort and we want ease and we don't want to be challenged or to suffer in following Jesus. And in Mississippi, that's a pretty easy thing to do because most people are religious at some level. Most people are okay if you're a Christian. They may not be, but they're not gonna get after you for it. And so it's easy to kind of live in this place of like, I can stay comfortable in a Christian. But Jesus was clear. If you go back and read Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is so very clear. If you wanna follow him, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross. This isn't some like metaphorical thing of like, you know, I mean, it is metaphorical, but it's not like, you know, the cross of Jesus be that. It's like, no, you need to find what he's challenging, how he's challenging you to die to yourself and follow after him. And as Christians, we are not, because of the culture we're in, where we prioritize comfort and ease and we wanna watch Netflix, you know, we wanna just chill out and we don't wanna work hard. We wanna find what's the easiest thing to do today. Because of all of that, we are not equipped like we should be to follow Jesus. We have a deficiency in our ability willingness to suffer for the kingdom. I want you to look at what Paul says. Paul says he's willing, he's ready not only to be bound, tied up, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. This is almost exactly what Peter, who's one of the followers of Jesus, said in Luke chapter 22. Right before Jesus was captured to be crucified, Peter Peter was like the hype man for Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I'm I'm ready to be imprisoned or even to die, same thing Paul says, for you. And then he doesn't. Jesus responds like, yeah, before the rooster crows three times, you're gonna deny me three times. And that's what happened. So he wasn't ready to actually follow Jesus. But Paul now is saying this, and spoiler alert, he follows through with it. He's in prison, and Paul eventually is killed for his faith. And the difference is he has the Holy Spirit empowering him. Now notice what the people say at the very end when Paul continues, I will do it. The people say the Lord's will be done. This is almost exactly what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. When he's there in the garden of Gethsemane, he's talking to his heavenly father and he says, father, would you take this away from me? I don't want to die. Would you take this cup away from me? And then he says, but not what I will, but let your will be done. Like right now, we're seeing reenactment in these people's lives where they are embracing the way of Jesus. They're willing to suffer and die. They're willing to give up whatever for God's will to be done. Are you willing to do that? I think for too many of us, we understand what the will of God is and we conveniently ignore it. We divert away from it. We stop listening to God at that point because it seems too radical or too hard. We refuse to follow him. I heard a lecture this week from a guy named Dr. Tom McCall. And he came into Wesley Biblical Seminary where I work and he gave this lecture and he was talking about Matthew 16 where Jesus said, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. The reason Jesus said that is because Peter, that same Peter who said he'd do something for Jesus and didn't, Peter said, Jesus started talking about how he's got to die and be crucified and Peter's like, no. And he rebuked Jesus. Just spoiler alert, like plot, don't don't rebuke Jesus. Because Jesus came back to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Like, how would you like that if, you know, the son of God was like, you are Satan today. Not a good role play thing. You, know, like you don't want to go follow through that because Jesus like, will destroy Satan. Not a good place to be. And this, this professor was speaking on this because right after that, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. And he said this, this is a powerful quote. He said, nothing less than satanic is the temptation to avoid the cross, whether for Jesus or the followers of Jesus. If you feel tempted to avoid challenge and suffering because you're supposed to be obedient to Jesus, you can be sure that that temptation to avoid it is from Satan. It's from the forces of darkness in this world, trying to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. And we can't afford that, we can't back down from that. If if we want to have the kind of life that God wants for us in the kingdom, as part of his family, we have to pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. This is so hard. Everything in us wants to revolt and rebel against this. My, my guess is for all of us here, this will not include dying for our faith. Now there's a chance somebody could go somewhere on a mission trip, like get with the wrong people, you know, say the wrong thing about Jesus and boom, you're done. We'll celebrate you if that happens, okay? Like if you get killed for your faith, we'll have just this massive, like one big celebration of your life. We'll put your picture up here and there'll be a big like red X that comes over it. But it will be like, died for Jesus. You know, it will be awesome. We're gonna, we'll celebrate you. But the truth is... Now we have to do that someday. If it ever happens, we're just gonna have to do that. Like, we'll have, have like a row of pictures out in the lobby with just like people with X's over, like, died for Jesus, you know, just. Okay, anyway, so. Chances are that's not gonna happen, though, because that'd be really ugly decorations. We just don't want that up out in the lobby. So chances are no one's gonna die for their faith. Like, you're, just not, you're probably not gonna die for your faith. But what are the ways that Jesus is asking you to deny yourself and follow him, like, this week? Or next week? Like, who, who's the roommate or the coworker that God is asking you to love, like actively love and pray for blessing on them every day because they're kind of your enemy. And so he's, he's calling you right now to like, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. So like, are you, are you willing to pray for those people every day that just like get under your skin? Like, are, you willing to, are you willing to take up your cross and like love your enemy and pray for them? Are you willing to, if you have an opportunity to make more money and do, like, do something that would maybe benefit you financially, but it's outside of God's will, maybe it's the wrong kind of thing or done in the wrong way or it's under the table, or maybe it's just like God, God is calling you here and you wanna go there. Are you willing to say no to making more money and following him? Are you willing to, like if you're, a, if you're a single person, stay committed to God's will not to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage? Like we have a lot of single people here Right, we have like That foundry is mostly single people and it is culturally unusual to follow Jesus and stay committed to his plan for your sexuality. Are you willing to do that? Yes. Are you well Thank goodness somebody here is. <laughs> are you willing to stay committed to what he has for you? Like, like legitimately, that's, that's not like an abstract question. Like that, are you willing to? And that's what picking up your cross looks like. It may not look like having to give your life, you know, big red X, boom. It might just look like following him where it's really hard maybe there's a level of of like, well, I wanna say this too, because I said this in the first experience. I think it's important to say here. When it comes to marriage, this is true as well. Many marriages are just really hard, like unnecessarily hard. Like one participant in them is just making it so hard. Jesus gives really one reason for divorce in the Bible. You might be able to find a second reason that's an extension of that. The one main reason is adultery. If someone commits adultery, Uh, you are allowed to get divorced, although you don't have to. I think it's usually wise to try to redeem that. The other one Paul talks about is essentially the same thing, but when someone abandons you, you, when a non-Christian kind of puts you out, the idea is that they're going on to other relationships. So if they then engage in adultery, then you're free to get divorced. You don't have to though. Uh, But so many of, of us have come from backgrounds, maybe in your own life, you've experienced this or you've seen it in your parents, but where we just get divorced just because it's really hard or because the other one is like legitimately a psychopath, right? That happens as well. Like legitimately happens. Or the other person's like just really hard to live with, like impossibly hard to live with. And the will of God for a person in that situation is to stay married and to love them. And that's hard. Like, that, that's not one of those easy things like, oh, just just keep love. Like, no, this is their day. But you know what? That is, that's the cross God's called us to. And at Foundry, I want us to be people who are willing to give up comfort and ease to obey Jesus and follow him. And none of this is easy. But if you embrace this, you embrace God and a relationship with him and peace and joy at a deeper level. The abundant life is the life of the cross. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 about Jesus. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Because of the joy in front of him, he endured the cross and the pain and the suffering of it. Because of the joy, he endured the suffering. And so somebody needs to hear this because you have a cross in front of you, you know what it is, and you have to, you have a, a challenge in your own heart right now to follow through. I wanna tell you, if you Follow Jesus and embrace that cross. There is a joy waiting for you. For Jesus, the joy was he would be seated enthroned at the right hand of the Father, and that he would gain a whole family, that he would be able to save those who are far from God and bring us. Talk about us into the family. Like that was one of the joys set before Jesus, and also that he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. That was his joy. He endured the suffering for the joy. If you endure the suffering. That Jesus is put in front of you, there is a joy on the other side, and you won't see it at first. You might not feel it at first, but there's a joy waiting for you. So here's my challenge. Here's my question: Are you willing to follow Jesus where it costs you the most? Are you willing to pick up your cross and follow after Him? It's a deficiency in our lives, but Paul, Paul had that. Back in 1597 in Japan, there was a group of 26 people, followers of Jesus, who were being persecuted because of their faith. They rounded them up. And they marched them around Japan. They were heckled. Uh, they were abused everywhere they went. Uh, they were seen as rejecting their culture, rejecting their traditions, embracing a Western religion, even though actually this is interesting. Christianity is an Eastern religion, not a Western religion, but they were seen as embracing a Western religion. They were, they were, and so they eventually brought to this place in Nagasaki. This group became known as the Nagasaki Martyrs. And they, they were all there in Nagasaki and they pointed up and there were a series of crosses up on the hill. It was kind of this dark humor. They're like, if, you're gonna, if you want to be a real Christian, we'll make you a real Christian. We'll, we'll crucify you like Jesus was. So they're, they're there. This is really psychological, right? Like they're trying, to, they're trying to get them to renounce Jesus. So they're putting the crosses up there. For a few of the younger men who were there that had the moms there saying, please just, and the mom's pleading with them, please reject the faith, like reject this Jesus thing and just save your life. Like just pleading with them to do that. There was one uh, young man there was 12 years old named Louis uh, Ibaragi. And Louis, uh, the youngest member is 12 years old. His mom's pleading with him. He looks up at the crosses up there. He turns to one of the Japanese noblemen who's there and he says, which one is Mine. And the the Japanese nobleman points up to the smallest one, tailor-made for a 12-year-old boy, and says, that's your cross. And Lewis runs up and embraces the cross because to be a follower of Jesus, you deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow him. He embraced the cross and he was crucified there along with the other 25 people because he was more focused on following Jesus and the joy that was set before him than finding comfort and ease. Here's my question for you. Are you willing to do the same thing? Like, There's there's not a physical cross in front of you for you to embrace, but are you at that level you're willing to do that? There probably is an obedience cross in front of you, something that God is is asking you to do, something that his word is asking you to do. Like, Take me out of all this. Just look to what God wants for you. Maybe there's a way that the Holy Spirit's challenging you in your heart right now, saying, hey, will you do this for me? Are you you gonna give this up? Are you gonna start doing this? And right now you're resisting it. I just wanna challenge you right now, like do what Lewis did, do what Jesus did, do what Paul did, like be willing to do whatever. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer imprisonment or even to die for the name of Jesus. Don't do it just because it's the right thing to do. Do it for the relationship you have with God through Jesus. Embrace what he's put in front of you. It doesn't matter how hard it is, like embrace it right now go forward into it, live boldly there. There's a joy before you as you do it. It will be hard, but God will bless you as you do it. So here's my question. Are you willing to correct the deficiencies in your life? Are you willing to see kingdom relationships, kingdom gifts, and most importantly, kingdom suffering to fully participate in the kingdom of God? I hope you are. And I believe that as we do that as individuals and as a church, we will experience joy in God's blessing in a way we've never experience before